0: If you have a Bible this morning, Matthew chapter 12 is where we are. It's taken us some time to get through the 12th chapter of Matthew, I think about six weeks now. It's been a wonderful journey. I'm thankful for it. And it's appropriate where we find ourselves today at the end of Matthew chapter 12. I think it's appropriate in light of what we just experienced in the last couple of moments. I think it's appropriate because of what we're going to experience tonight when we gather back together in this place at six o'clock. Jesus has something to say to our hearts this morning about his family and our place in it. Matthew chapter 12 verse 46 says that while he was still speaking to the people, that is Jesus was speaking to the people, behold his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. They couldn't get to him. They sent a message through somebody. Would you tell him his mom's here, his brothers are here, we want to talk to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now listen, in Jesus' day, not unlike our day, but even more so, family was everything. You don't have to read the Bible long until you kind of come across that. So-and-so beget so-and-so. Don't you love it when that's your devotional reading for the day? And -and so-and-so beget so-and-so. Somebody was of the house of this and the house of that. They were of this tribe or that tribe. In fact, in those days, your family was also probably the source of your income. It was your career. It was your vocation. Oftentimes, that was passed down through the generations. Your family, your tribe, your people that was your identity. That's what defines you. For many of us here today, we would say that's true of our family. We, we find a great deal of who we are, our identity, and our earthly families. For right reasons, God created the family. We go back to Genesis and we see that with our first mother and father, Adam and Eve, in the garden And the Bible's filled with instructions related to how you and I are to live faithfully before God within the context of our families. So many principles and instructions that we find in God's word related to family. But here in our verses today, Jesus does something extraordinary. He is here radically expanding what it means to have a family. Here we have Mary and Jesus' brothers standing outside this crowded home where Jesus is. and they're trying to get to him. They want to have a conversation with Jesus. He's difficult to reach at this point. Now Mark tells us in his gospel in chapter three, that Jesus's brothers, at least his brothers, they weren't following Jesus. They weren't yet believers that Jesus was the Messiah. That's going to happen post-dying on the cross. That's going to happen after rising from the dead. But at this point, they don't believe that he is the Son of God and the Messiah. In fact, Mark indicates to us that Jesus' brothers actually are thinking at this point in time, he's a few fries short of a Happy Meal. They're thinking something's not right with our brother. They're concerned for him. They're probably there that day to try to shush him. To try to throw him in the back of the station wagon and take him home. Now, it's not clear how strong Mary's faith might have been at this point, but related to his brothers, it's quite clear. So here's Jesus' his family. They're standing outside. They want to have a conversation with him. Somebody tells Jesus, Your mom's here, your brothers are here, they want to talk with you. And his response is verse 48 Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Now think about what a shocking statement that must have been if you're his mom. Mary's life, just to remind you, as a young girl, got flipped upside down the day the angel came to her, right? And told her that she was going to bear the Son of God in her womb. Any plans that this young lady had, they were obliterated in that moment. She goes into labor while traveling with Joseph, gives birth in a barn behind a shady one-star hotel, has to tear up strips of cloth to make a bed in an animal trough for her baby. Her and her young husband don't even get a honeymoon. In fact, they have to live the first season of their marriage together as a young family as fugitives in hiding on the run from crazy King Herod. It's an understatement to say that because of Jesus, Mary's life was difficult. It's an understatement to say that because of Jesus, Mary's life was challenging, that it was a life without comfort. It was a life without Ease and for Jesus to say in this moment, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? That sounds like utter nonsense. Even worse, it sounds like ingratitude. But I assure you that it's neither. Jesus is neither nonsensical nor ungrateful in this moment as it relates to his family, especially to his mom. We'll see him as he's dying on the cross and drawing his last breath, still concerned about his mom, still making sure that even after he's gone from her that she will be cared for and protected and provided for. So why is Jesus asking here what seems to be such a ridiculous question? It's not ridiculous at all. In fact, Jesus is a professional at asking questions. I don't know if you've noticed that in the Bible or even in your own life, but Jesus loves to ask questions, not because he has need of answers. He already has all the answers, but Jesus asks questions of people, and he asks questions of us sometimes to expose to us what could be in our hearts. Sometimes Jesus asks questions of us sometimes to provide encouragement to our hearts, and sometimes he's doing both at the same time Jesus is using this particular moment however as a teaching opportunity and it's a great place for us to pause today and look because of what's going to happen here tonight in our covenant service we'll be celebrating tonight that we are a part of the family of God i do hope you'll be here jesus says here who is my mother who are my brothers in other words who are my people who are my people jesus says is his people, is his family the ones who live at the same address as him? Is, is his people, his family, the ones who share some DNA with him? Is his people, his family, the people that he has, he has the most in common with? Is that, is that his people? Look at verse 49. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus points at his disciples and he says, this is my family. These these are my people. And let me remind you what a broad collection, dare I say, of even weirdos Jesus had as his followers. They were like us, y'all, just people with their hang-ups and their their weird things about them and they didn't have a whole lot in common they were they seemed at least like a random and real diverse group of guys sometimes they argued you can just imagine what the scene must have been like probably not the kind of people that you would have chosen to be up close and personal with 24 7 365 times three and a half Probably not what you would have chosen. But Jesus says about them, these are my mother and my brothers. These people right here, they're my family. What is he saying? What is he doing? Here it is. He is radically redefining and expanding the idea of family. How so? This moment and what Jesus is doing in it is a glimpse and a sampling of the new family that he's establishing on the earth in the kingdom of heaven. It's so important. This moment is a sampling and a glimpse of the new family that Jesus is establishing on the earth in the kingdom of heaven. He says in verse 50, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and mother. In other words, those who entrust their lives to me, those who take up their cross, deny themselves, those who follow me, they are my family. Those who follow me and live their life within my kingdom, he says, those are the ones that I am most closely associating with. Those are the ones that I am most closely identifying with. Wow, his mama and his brothers are right there, but Jesus says, My people are the ones who follow me. Now at that moment, that excludes his biological brothers, half biological at least, right? Because they're not following Jesus. They have not shown up on the scene that day to support him. They've shown up on the scene that day to try to suppress him, to hush him, to bring him back to the house. Think about this. How great an honor. My mama, my mama was in the first service as she usually is. And I said, hey, you know, what a great honor for mom to have me as her son. (laughs) Not so much. (laughs) But think about this. Moms, what an honor it would have been for God to have chosen you to be Jesus' mom. It's hard to fathom, right? And I've got a brother and he's got a brother, strangely enough, that's me. Some of you didn't get that at first. And by the way, also a while ago, I know, I'm sorry, my, my mom was on a few things while we were singing and worshiping today. I was thinking about praying for them. But, but before I started thinking about praying for them, I just got somebody's joke that they told me before church started. You ever had that moment where somebody tells you a joke, but it's quite a bit later that you get it? And so I don't know, man, just during worship, I remember, and I don't know who, I don't know what jerk said, told me this joke at church today. But he saw me limping and he said, what'd you do? Did you kick your TV last night? And it took me a minute. And I figured out what he meant by that. I wish I remembered who it was. I'd kick him with my good leg. Jesus here is uh, redefining his family. And think about moms, what an honor that would be if you were his mom. Brothers, brothers if God had selected you to be Jesus's brother. But I love this here in the text because Jesus is indicating that there is a far greater privilege and a far greater honor available to all of us this morning to be connected in a family relationship with Jesus, not simply by birth or by blood, but through rebirth and through his shed blood. What an honor and a privilege that is. So how can you tell who is in Jesus' family? He says clearly, those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Now now let there be no confusion. You don't get into the family of God by doing the will of God. I know that's what he just said, but, but Matthew's assuming that we understand something comes before that, that he's already been proclaiming throughout his gospel. Repentance and faith, repentance and faith. We don't get into the family of God by works, by doing. We get into the family of God by believing. By believing that Jesus is God's son, that he put on flesh, that he lived a perfect sinless life, a life we never could. He died a death that we all deserve to die in our place to pay for our sin, to reconcile us to God. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. The Bible says if you believe that about the Lord Jesus Christ and call on him to be saved, you will be saved. And if you really truly are saved, guess what you're going to do? The will of God in heaven. The will of your Father who's in heaven. Ephesians 2.8 gives clarity to this. Paul says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Nobody in heaven's gonna go, here's how I got here. I did this, I did that. No, no boasting in self in heaven, because Jesus did it all for us. Verse 10, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He saved us by grace, To do good works. He saved us by grace to do the will of our Father in heaven, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, even beyond our earthly families, being in the family of God is our greatest and most meaningful identity. Even beyond the people that you might share an address with or perhaps some DNA with, there is an even greater relationship now And even that, there's a more important family now than your earthly family. That's the family of God. Now who can be in this most important and eternal family? Look at what he says in verse 50. Whoever, whoever. I love that. I've been telling you throughout chapter 12, this is the chapter Jesus is pivoting. The nation of Israel is rejecting him. He's now extending his invitation to the nations of the earth to people like me and you outside the nation of Israel, to non-Jewish people, to Gentiles. Here he says, for whoever. And Jesus just said that whoever, and that's a big moment. What Jesus just did is he just swung the front door open to his father's house and said, if you want to be in my father's house, if you want to be in my father's family, you're in that whoever. You just got to come through the door. And elsewhere, Jesus calls himself the door. He is not a way to the Father. He is the way to the Father. The way, the truth, and the life. He says, whoever does the will of my Father. Now, that's clear to me, but I gotta be honest with you, that's a little bit uncomfortable to me, too. His whoever is so broad, there's gonna be moments, to be honest with you, that leaves me a little uncomfortable. Because I'm going to realize there's some people in that whoever that I'm naturally going to say about them, wait a minute, those ain't my people. I don't know about that. They're not like me. They're not like us. They don't look like me. They don't think like me. They don't talk like me. They don't live exactly the way I live. We don't agree on all these things. But Jesus says that whoever responds to and lives in light of the gospel, that's the family of God. Now, what does that mean today for me and you practically? Well, it means this, and some of you probably don't want to hear this, especially down here in the South, man, because a lot of us have made our earthly families the ultimate. A lot of us have made our earthly families the, the pinnacle of our lives, the pinnacle of our priorities. And our earthly families are important, hugely important. But their importance only finds its intended and true and rightful place of importance when it's placed within the larger importance of the family of God in the kingdom of heaven Listen, if the family of God and the kingdom of heaven are a lesser priority to you than your earthly family is, then all of your passion and all of your commitment to your earthly family is misplaced and misaligned with the heart of God. The truth is, if someone is a part of the whoever, they become a part of God's family. And then that person may take a place of even greater priority than some people that I'm biologically related to. They might even have a place of greater priority than somebody that even lives in my house. Because within the family of God, there's an even higher purpose than what we have for our earthly families. There's a higher reason for our relationships than even the relationships that we have with our Earthly families. You say, Pastor, this sounds confusing. Are you saying that we should decrease our devotion to our earthly families? Absolutely not. I would argue the opposite. I would say, pedal to the metal, let's amp up our commitment and our devotion and our obedience to God and the roles that He's called us to in our earthly families. But I would say, let's make sure that we are doing that within the larger context of the kingdom of heaven. And the spiritual family of God. In Jesus, we're now part of an even more important, yes, more important, an everlasting family. Our spiritual family. What should that look like? I I, I'm just gonna let you wrestle for a minute because I know some of you are wrestling. Eh, keep wrestling. That's good. I like it. We need to prioritize our spiritual family. We know how to prioritize for the most part our Our earthly families. But it's even more important that we learn how to prioritize our spiritual family. What does that look like? we, We are intentional to invest ourselves to honor our spiritual family. Intentional to invest ourselves to bless our spiritual family. To value them. To walk faithfully with them. Because now there is no more important people in this world than our spiritual brothers and sisters. Now, I know this is hitting some of you kind of awkwardly. You're saying, Pastor, it just sounds like you're saying kind of pull back from family, disassociate from family, abandon family, neglect family. Is, is that what you're saying? Absolutely not. No. The Bible's clear. The principles are clear. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Wives, this is what you're to do. Children, this is what you're to do. Parents, what, this is what you're supposed to do. But what Jesus is saying to us in Matthew today is that in the kingdom of heaven, we now have an even higher calling, even greater priority. We have a spiritual family now. And really, my earthly family is only going to flourish the way God wants it to flourish when I seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness, his family. But some of us today, we have the cart before the horse. We have our family ahead of his family. But our family is only going to fulfill and flourish in the purposes and the plans and the heart of God when we get the order right, the plan right. fact is, there's some people that I may be blood related to. Could even live at my same house. And if they leave this world rejecting Jesus as Savior and Lord, when they take their last breath, that's the end of my relationship with them. That's it. But when my friend Drew, he takes his last breath or I take my last breath, man, our relationship's only just beginning. We're in a family that's going to last forever. So we need to prioritize and practice loving our spiritual family because whether you like it or not, we're going to be together forever. And some of you think, I don't know if I want that. Well, no, not like we are now. But there's a day coming, y'all, that all the sin and the junk and the mess that sometimes gets us sideways and aggravated and frustrated and tired of each other, One day all that's going to be gone. It's going to be something like you and I can't dream or imagine. So we need to prioritize our spiritual family today in our lives, in our schedules, in our prayers. I mean, it's natural that we build our lives right now around our earthly families. We have to do a lot of that. Our children are in a small Christian school. My son plays ball. We're traveling all the time. We're playing in Gardendale tomorrow, you know, Tuscaloosa to Gardendale and back. And that's our close game. We were in Mississippi last week and we're busy. I, I get that. We all get that. And I'm not suggesting that we should do anything too. We're living in a time when so-called Christians are looking for reasons to minimize the priority and the importance of gathering with their spiritual family, of being with their brothers and sisters in Christ. The stats are showing us that right now that all across America, so-called committed Christians have fallen off in their commitment to gathering weekly from, from the rates with which they were doing that just five years ago. That's indicative of a lowering of the regard of the prioritization of the family of God. Too many Christians right now don't have deep and meaningful relationships with their brothers and sisters in Christ because the spiritual family of God simply isn't a priority to them. It's just another accessory of many accessories that's a part of their life. There's school and there's work and there's ball and there's my spiritual family. It's just kind of on the same ground as everything else in our world, if even that. In fact, for many in the church today, gathering consistently with their spiritual family, devotion to a small group, a life group, serving God together, those are oftentimes the first things to go in a busy week where we're just so tired from everything we did. Like, oh, this week's going to be so busy. Just gonna... It's the first thing that we toss. Our generation of Christ followers Is not prioritizing God's family. Not prioritizing our spiritual family. Like we should. And certainly not prioritizing it anywhere like Jesus. Prioritized it and does prioritize it. Parents of some younger children here in this room today. I want to encourage you. Teach your children early and often. That they've got a much bigger family in their life than just the one that they live with at the house. Teach them that. Teach your children early and often to prioritize their spiritual family. And you set that example for them. When you talk about your spiritual family, talk about your spiritual family with excitement, with enthusiasm, not this, hey, no, we got to go to church tomorrow. No, no, hey, tomorrow we get to go to church to be with our church family. We're going to get to see them and them, and we get to do that tomorrow to worship God together with our church family. Talk positive about the people in your church. If you go home today and all your children do is hear you criticizing and complaining and yeah, yeah, that's going to produce a harvest that you are going to regret in your child's child's life. life. We need to prioritize our commitment to our spiritual family. Be intentional about that. Be intentional about expressing that commitment. And here's how you begin to express that commitment. It's through church membership. Now, if you want to debate me about church membership being biblical or unbiblical, I'll take that debate any place, any time. Bring it. You married, guys, you know this to be true. You can only go on so long before you were married telling that sweet, pretty little thing that you loved her. Eventually, what you were saying needed to be formalized in some kind of practical, tangible way that said, I'm all in. I'm all in. So you bought a ring, you got on your knee, and you proposed to her. If you didn't do that, eventually, she's going to begin to wonder, is this stuff coming out your mouth really in your heart? Are you really in? Are you really devoted? Are you really committed to this. Listen, life's most important commitments are expressed formally. Church membership is a formal expression that says you understand that Jesus didn't just die for you, but also understand he just as much died for you and you, my brothers and sisters. And therefore, you want to do all you can do to display to your spiritual siblings, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and to a watching world that you're devoted and committed not only to Jesus, but to his family, to his people. Paul writes in Romans 12.10, Love one another with brotherly affection. There's family language. Outdo one another in showing honor. Listen, church, make the decision to prioritize loving each other. Make the decision to prioritize serving your spiritual family. And when I say spiritual family, that's not limited to the people at Grace Life. God's family is a big family. And it's global. And so we need to be tuned into that, to his household. John writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, I love that. That's family language too. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Because love's from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Implication is if you don't love, you have not been born of God and you don't know God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we've loved God. Big deal, you've loved God. That's easy. He's easy to love. That's not love. This is what love is. He loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment, the satisfaction for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, there's that word again, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, it's not just about vertical, God love me, I love God, right? There's this commitment and devotion, love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The implication of what John just said there is that if the family of God isn't a priority to you if it's not a priority to you, if there's an absence of God's love and devotion in your life or your spiritual family, John would say that's evidence in your life that there's a lack of love for God in you. You can't love God and not love your spiritual family. They go together. You can't love God and not love his family, the church. I know it's kind of the hip thing to say these days. Well, I love Jesus, I just don't love his church. That's the most stupid thing I've ever heard. It just is. I love Jesus. I just don't like his church. I just don't don't love his bride. Chuck, you tell that to me, buddy. You come to me and say, Joe, I love you, but I don't like Shannon. I don't love her. We're a package deal, dude. We're one. We're the same. You don't love her. You don't love me. I don't care what you say to me. You don't love his church, you don't love him. I don't care what you say. As much as I'm one with my wife, how much more is Jesus one with his wife? Us, his church, his people, his bride. So you love them both or you love them neither? It's a package deal. And look, the fact is, loving your spiritual family, I'm not gonna kid you guys today. It is gonna be Most of you probably already know this. It's the hardest thing you're going to do this side of heaven. I mean, to be honest, look, some of y'all are easy to love. Some of y'all are colicky. You know what I mean? Anybody ever had a colicky baby? I mean, you still loved them, but they wasn't easy as that firstborn. All us firstborns, we're easy to love, amen? I'm just kidding truthfully, loving our spiritual family faithfully and deeply is one of the hardest things that you're ever going to do, just ask Jesus. Ask the one who suffered and died for his spiritual family how hard it is. And listen, if you suffer in the challenges and the hardness of loving your spiritual family along the way, or even if you suffer because of and at the hands of your spiritual family along the way, then count that a privilege. Count that an honor because you're walking the same path Jesus walked. You're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. You say, Yeah, but Pastor, I've, you just don't know. I've got church hurt. Welcome to the party. Listen, I have no desire to look Jesus in the face, seeing just above his eyes these scars in his forehead from the crown of thorns being crammed into his head. I have no desire in that moment to say, Jesus, listen, I love you, but I'm not gonna be committed to your church because I got church hurt. I'm sorry, y'all, that's just one victim card that I am not gonna hold up in front of Jesus and say, I've been a victim of church hurt, so I'm checking out. I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy. But I am still convinced after all this time that it's worth it. Because he's worth it. He gave his life to make us his. How would I turn my back on that? How would I go half in on that? How would I walk away from that? I'm still convinced that what Jesus gave his life for is what I want to give my life for. It's going to break your heart sometimes. Some of you who are really thinking about getting in the middle of a church family, I hope you do. There's nothing like it, but it will break your heart sometimes. It will hurt your feelings sometimes if you're doing it right. Now you can you can fake it and like just show up. That's not what I'm talking about. That's the safe path. But if you're really doing it right, it's going to be hard. But so worth it. And then there's the pain of just growing spiritually. The Bible calls that sanctification. God's making us more like Jesus. And that process can be a little painful along the way too. And God uses the spiritual family around you as one of his means to change us and transform us and to make us more like Jesus. So when you go to that life group and there's that person in there that's just like nails on a chalkboard. And despite the fact that on top of the conversation, guide it says don't do all the talking, you know they're going to do all the talking. And you're just tired because you stayed up watching your Auburn Tigers play till 2 o'clock in the morning. And then all of a sudden you get in your life group and it's nails on the chalkboard and you're like, Jesus, you're going to have to get me through this today. If you can understand what I'm telling you, that means you're in the right place. Those hard moments and difficult moments, challenging moments, those are moments when God is knocking off the edges in our life, the stuff that's me and not him, right? And he's sanctifying us and changing us. Or when people in your spiritual family speak hard truth to you, may God give you a brother or sister in the Lord that loves you enough to tell you the truth to your face. And that can be painful, but so needed. And so for your good. Growing spiritually is going to hurt sometimes. And then there's the pain of people letting you down. Not meeting your expectations. Of disappointing you. And you will be that person to somebody else somewhere along the way too, mind you. And that can be painful. But go back to what Jesus said in Matthew 12. He pointed at his disciples. This is stunning. He points at his disciples and he says, This is my family. I'm all in. And you know what he knew of them when he said that in that moment? He knew they're going to hurt him. They're going to abandon him. They're going to betray him. They're going to walk away. They're going to disappoint him. He knew I'm going to take my closest three men in this circle on the night that my heart is breaking. I'm going to take them to a prayer meeting with me and I'm going to say pray for me. And they're going to sleep on me. I'm gonna wake them up and they're gonna go, Bagsley. You imagine that tonight, your heart's devastated, the worst thing that's ever happened to you happens tonight. You call up your best friend, your brother, your sister in Christ. You get them on the other end of the phone and you're pouring your guts out to them, and then there's a pause in the conversation, you realize there really is no conversation because you hear snoring on the other end of the phone. Jesus knew that about these men. He says, But these are my people, these are my family. Peter's sitting there, he's pointing at Peter This is my family. And he knows Peter, he knows Peter is gonna deny him. Three times, this is my people, this is my family. Amazing to see the love of Jesus for his family. He says, they're my family. Listen, life in God's family is gonna be hard sometimes. It's gonna be messy sometimes. It's gonna be heartbreaking sometimes. It's gonna require a level of forgiveness and patience that's supernatural, That's exactly what God has in mind. That we end up with the kind of relationships that are just supernatural, that are unlike anything else in the world. And this is what Jesus is literally saying as we close out Matthew 12 Spiritual family is worth it. That's what he's saying. He's looking at these jokers, going, You're worth it. You're worth it. You're my family. You're worth it. What about you today? Is his family worth it to you? Worth all the trouble? (laughs) Worth all the pain? The challenges? I'll tell you, it's worth it. Because he's worth it. Because it was his body that was broken. His blood was shed to make us family. And tonight... Those trays are going to get passed around and you're going to take a piece of cracker and you're going to drink some juice and you're going to be reminded because of him, I have a family. And right now, we're not perfect, but one day, one day, it's going to be all different and all new. Tonight, we're going to remember him that he's gone before us. And he did what was harder for our church family, for our spiritual family, than any of us will ever do. He shed his blood. But not just for you. For our brothers and sisters too. So let us love Jesus by loving his family faithfully, deeply, for his glory. Because he's worth it. So God, thank you today. Jesus, thank you for saying that amazing word, whosoever. Thank you for flinging the door, the front door of your Father's house open and inviting us to come in. Jesus, thank you for giving your life in our place so that we could have access to your family in your kingdom, eternity together with you. Now, God, would you teach us today and encourage us today to love you and your family better than we have. God, help us to go against the flow of the current culture we're living in, in this part of our world that seems to be siphoning people away from their spiritual family left and right. God, would you Work in our hearts today in such a way that we would follow your example, Jesus, and walk in your steps and be devoted to one another. This is what you've called us to do. This is what delights your heart as our Father. to See your sons and daughters walking together, loving one another, praying for one another like we did earlier, encouraging one another. God, break the bondage of selfishness and pride today and set our hearts free to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself, to embrace our spiritual family so that the way we love each other would compel others who haven't yet come into your house, who haven't yet trusted Jesus, that they would want, God, what they see in us. Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you for your sacrifice. Jesus, you're everything to us. You're more than enough. You're our all in all to us, God. You're all we need. We love you and we thank you and we praise you and it's in your name we pray. And I wanna invite you to stand. Let's worship him together. Let's lift our hearts together today as the family of God. Give him the praise that he's worthy of.